0: If you don't know me, my name is Eric, I am an elder here. Well, in fact, even if you do know me, my name is still Eric, and I'm still an elder here. That reality doesn't change uh, based on whether or not you know me. And we have been going through the book of Ephesians. Uh, And today, if you were to ask me exactly where I'm going to be in Ephesians, I would just have to say yes. Yes, I'll I'll be there. I'll be in Ephesians somewhere. I think I will predominantly be covering uh, chapter 2 and a little bit of chapter 3. We are in this series called The Ins and Outs of Jesus. And I wasn't in the room when that title was arrived at. At least I don't think I was. If I was, I've completely forgotten. Uh, So I'm not entirely sure why we called it The Ins and Outs. I probably should have asked. But here's what I'm assuming ins and outs mean. If you were to look at Ephesians, if you were to read from beginning to end, you would find that the first three chapters of Ephesians are very heavily talking about the grace of God coming into our lives, the grace of God being offered to us and us having the opportunity to respond. And then as you look at chapters four, five, and six, you see this is the grace of God working out of us working into community. This is the grace of God expressed in us, changing us and thereby changing the world around us. We are talking today about grace. Grace is a very predominant theme in the book of Ephesians. In fact, it's it's predominant in all of Paul's writings. Two-thirds of the time that the word grace, which is charis in the Greek, two-thirds of the time that it's used, it's used by Paul in his epistles. Grace, though, is, is, is of course, beyond that. The entire New Testament is about grace. It's about the grace of Jesus coming to earth, dying for us, so that we can become righteous through his blood. It's about the grace being offered to us through the Holy Spirit. But it's not just in the New Testament, it's Old Testament as well. The theme is very prevalent throughout the Old Testament, the choosing of God's people. But even before that, in creation, there is grace. The, the fact that, 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 that God uh, created the heavens and the earth, that is grace. Why do I say that? Dallas Willard, I love the way that he explains this word Grace. He says, grace is God acting in your life to accomplish what you cannot accomplish on your own. Grace is God working in your life to accomplish what you cannot accomplish on your own. You and I could not have possibly accomplished the creation of the world on our own. Adam could not have picked up the dust from the earth and breathed into his own nostrils to create humankind. This is God working in humanity. You could not have created yourself in your mother's womb. This is God procreating. You could not have created air so that you can sustain yourself physically. This is from God's creation, water, food, all of these things. You cannot do any of this on your own. Your very existence is an act of God's grace. Grace is also explained or defined as being favor, and when speaking about God's grace, it's usually defined as being unmerited favor, undeserved favor. And we sometimes think that grace is synonymous with forgiveness. We oftentimes put those two together. And it is true that forgiveness is in fact grace. That's true. But grace is not necessarily forgiveness. You see, there is grace as this broad umbrella, this broad driving force that is behind God's relationship, the way that he interacts with us. But underneath of this broad idea of grace is this little bit of this forgiveness that comes out of his grace. Grace is much bigger than that. In fact, if we were to look at Exodus Chapter 34, verse 6, we find this. It says this, that this is Moses. He's, he's, he's before, um, this is right before he walks back up the mountain a second time to have the tablets written on. It says, he passed in front of Moses. He passed being he, the Lord. And this is what the Lord said. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. God describes himself as gracious. It's kind of like when we read that God is love or God is light. God is also gracious. This is one of his characteristics. This is one of his attributes, one of his unchangeable characteristics. And God was gracious at the beginning, whatever the beginning was, eternity beginning. He was gracious when there was just the Trinity, Forgiveness is not necessary within the Trinity, but grace was still present. You see, grace, once again, is much bigger than just forgiveness. It is is the driving force behind everything God does relationally among himself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit among us. But grace is oftentimes expressed certainly through forgiveness. Grace is such a a key word in Paul's writings that what he does at the beginning of each of his epistles, he says this, grace and peace to you. He, he He takes the traditional Jewish greeting of shalom, peace, and he adds to it grace, and he puts that at the beginning of every single one of his letters, grace and peace to you. And then at the close of every single one of his letters, you're going to find him say something to the effect of grace, grace to you. Every message you have heard, hopefully, from this pulpit, grace has been used. This word grace, why? Because there is no gospel without grace. There is no Christian life without grace. There is no life without grace. So, today, as we move through this, uh, we're going to be talking about three main, main things, okay? The first is this God is gracious. God is gracious. We already read that from Exodus. God is gracious. The second is this God's grace is working in us. And then the third thing will be this God's grace is working through us. So, God is gracious. God is working in us. God's grace is working through us. So first of all, God is gracious. And as we already read from Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, he calls himself gracious. He has always been gracious. In eternity past, before sin, he was gracious. Forgiveness does become an expression of that grace. And that's point number one. I feel very accomplished. We've, we've got a three-point sermon here, and we've already gotten through one of the points and the introduction. We are moving right along, and I guarantee you that sec- the, the, point, the point two and three are going to be a little bit longer, so hang in there. But it's important to know that that is a character trait of God. Secondly, God's grace is working in you. And how does his grace work? work in you? First of all, I want to talk about how His grace works in you in in salvation, this idea that you are saved. You've heard this term before. any of you have children? We dedicated some babies last week, uh, had a, a beautiful moment together as a community. If If you've had a child, you'll understand what I'm about to say. When you have a baby, this baby is born into this this fallen world, already a sinner. We we, we birth these little sinners into the world. (laughs) And from day one, these babies are very, very demanding. The first thing they do is they cause a ton of pain. I mean, a ton of pain. I can remember when one of our uh, boys was born, uh, I was, I was in, in the room and leading up to the moment where he was born, the, the nurses and the doctors left the room and they instructed me, just make sure she keeps breathing, keep talking her through every time a contraction comes do this. I'm like, okay, if that's all the training I need to be a nurse or a doctor, I'm not sure what took you seven years. <laughs> so I'm, I'm in the room and I'm, I'm talking her through this and, and it was tiring, it was exhausting. And we get to the point where, <laughs> thank you, thank you. I'm glad you rec- We get to the point where the, the child was born And 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 the child is and the 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 nurses come in and they're so kind and they 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 bring ice chips to my wife. My throat was sore. I did for probably the better part of an hour and a half. I was talking. Nobody brought me ice chips. I don't know why you're laughing at my pain and suffering here. It, 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 the whole childbirth. It disfigured my body. I ate more. (laughs) I ate more during the pregnancy. Afterwards, I was tired, so I was eating more. It it changed my body. (laughs) These little demanding babies. They, they, they're so needy. They, they cry. And you have to discern as a parent, why is this child crying? They're, they're, are they crying because they need me to change the diaper once again? Are they crying because they need food? Are they prying, crying because they're afraid? And they, they need, and they need, and they need. And my, my wallet, like, stuff started disappearing. <laughs> yes. I mean, from, the, from the, the, before they were born. I'm paying doctor's bills, and then the birth, and then after. It doesn't stop, I don't think. I don't know. Maybe it stops eventually. No, it doesn't stop. (laughs) There you go. You heard it here. (laughs) But I love my kids. I love them deeply. I love you deeply. And they know, at least I hope they know, that it doesn't matter who they become. It doesn't matter what they do. I love them the same. I will never stop loving them because they are mine. I called you by name. You are mine. And this is exactly what God communicates to us. I called you by name and you are mine. And there is nothing you can do to escape his grace. There is nothing you can do to escape his love. He loves you because he loves you, because he loves you, not because of anything you've done, not because of anything you will do. He just loves you. Why? Because that's who he is. He is a God of love. He is a God of grace. That's his character. There is a Baby that is used as, as an illustration in Ezekiel chapter 16. If you're not familiar with it, it's it's beautiful. God is comparing Jerusalem to this baby. He says, You were like you were like a baby who was unwanted. The umbilical cord wasn't even completely severed correctly and you were taken, and you were thrown into the dirt. And he said, and that's where I found you. I found you in the dirt with blood caked on you, rolling around, kicking. The dirt is covering you. You were utterly helpless. And that's how he found them. And it says that he came and he picked the baby up and he washed the blood off the baby and he made the baby his and he adorned the baby with clothes, with, with a sense of security, with jewelry. Why? That baby couldn't do anything for herself. Nothing. Completely helpless, but by grace, he picked this baby, this Jerusalem up and he raised her. This is you and I when we were dead in our transgressions. Completely helpless. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 9. It says this, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Do you see how many times the word grace is used? expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. God's grace is working in us in salvation. It is not by works, sometimes we feel like it, we want it to be by works because we feel guilty about our non-works. Every other religion in the world, it's about works. It's about climbing your way, climbing the ladder, getting to God, reaching a standard. Christianity is completely different. The God of scriptures is a God of grace, a God who is Emmanuel, God with us, coming to us in the form of Jesus. And he died on the cross and he rose from the grave as an act of grace, as his way of interacting with us as human beings. And it is by grace through faith that we are saved. Years ago, I taught at an FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, over NIDER, and, and I, had a, I, I asked for a volunteer. I'm not going to do this today, but I had a, a girl come up. She came up, and I, I said, hey, how are you? And she said, fine. I, that's a weird detail. Why did I say that? I don't even know if I said that or not. <laughs> that part doesn't matter. Forget. I, I may not have said that. Don't take that as true. But she said fine anyway in this story. I said, I want to see you jump from, from about right here to about right here. Did you catch me on the camera? Sorry for those of you that are online. Welcome. Glad that you're here. So here she is, and uh, she couldn't do it. I shamed her. I thought this was Fellowship of Christian Athletes. <laughs> guess not, Guess you don't have to be an athlete to be here. She couldn't do it. She tried. So I, I invited another, uh, another student up. This time it was a guy. I don't remember what his name was. That part doesn't matter, really. I mean, he has a name. It's, his name matters, don't get me wrong. But what matters was that I renamed him that day. I said, everybody, look, I don't, I, his name is now Grace. Everybody say, hi, Grace. And they said, hi, Grace. That actually happened. I remember that part. Uh, So I said, uh, here's here's what needs to happen. She, She can't move from there to there all by herself. But by Grace, through her faith in you, she can hop on your back. And I'm going to permit you to carry her across that line from being unsafe and insecure to being safe and secure. And grace was fine with that proposition, and um, this this girl, whatever her name was, she uh, she had faith in him, and she jumped on his back and went across that line. By grace, through faith, we are saved. It's by the blood of Jesus. That's it. It's not by works, so that no one can boast. So, God is working in you. His grace is working in you in salvation. And He's also working in us in this process called sanctification. Now, for those of you that grew up in going to Sunday school, you hear the word sanctification. You don't think twice about it. You're like, I know what sanctification is. This is the process of God transforming us into being more Christ like. For those of you that did not grow up in Sunday school, you think I just made a word up. (laughs) Sanctification. I didn't. It's a real word. When I was in high school, there was a rap album I listened to, and it was a compilation of several different rappers, and the name of that rap rap album was Sanctifunctified. (laughs) That's a made-up word. Sanctification, sanctified, is not a made-up word. But in some ways, the word sanctification is a little bit redundant to salvation. And here's what I mean. Salvation biblically, it it, it carries this idea that it's past and it's present and it's future. For the one who is a believer, the one who is in Christ, the one who by faith, by grace through faith has received Jesus, there's a, a time in our history where we look at timeline is this way. There's a time in our history where we look at and we say, I was saved by grace. But if we look at our present, we say, I'm being saved by grace. God is still saving me out of the muck and the mire. He's still teaching me. He's still transforming me. I'm being saved. And yet someday I will be saved. All creation as in groaning pains waits For this salvation, this future hope, this future glory, I will someday be saved. And so sanctification refers to this process of God moving us from being people of the flesh to being people of the spirit. Sanctification. Another one of Paul's letters is where I want to pull from now. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. It says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation. Continue to work out your salvation? Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Does does Paul contradict himself here? I thought there were no works so that we can't boast. I thought it was by grace through faith. What does he mean now when he says, continue to work out your salvation? I think Dallas Willard sums it up pretty well when he says it this way. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. This is what he meant. He meant that there is a way that we are cooperating with the spirit of God. You or somebody in your family made a decision for you to be here today. And as a result, you have positioned yourself. You've positioned yourself to hear from the word of God. You've positioned yourself to worship. You have positioned yourself to be in fellowship with one another. You have positioned yourself to serve in some sort of way. And as a result of positioning yourselves, you have opened up your heart to the spirit of God teaching and transforming and moving in your life. The effort we take is we simply position ourselves. It's an act of faith. When you spend time in your word, when you spend time in prayer, you are positioning yourself before the one that does the transforming work in you. It even goes on to say, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works In you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. You see, even this process of sanctification is entirely reliant upon His grace. There is no flourishing Christian life without the grace of God. Titus. Chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It, what's it? It's grace. Grace. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Here's what's happening. God is interacting with us through his grace, through his unmerited favor. And as a result of that grace, we are becoming the kind of people that exude his grace. We are becoming Christ-like. We are becoming gracious as he is gracious. We are being transformed, chiseled into this new humanity as Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2. We are becoming Treasures, we have treasures in jars of clay. We're becoming like the moon. What do I mean by that? Have you ever looked at the moon at night and you've admired the moon? This, the, the light coming off of it, it created, like piercing through the darkness and creating light so that as your eyes adjust, you can actually see and it's pretty beautiful to behold the moon. And, and we can look at a calendar and we know when, when it's going to be a full moon. We can look at it and we can, we can marvel the nice crescent some nights. The lunar eclipse. This is pretty exciting. When the moon disappears. But if it wasn't for the sun, the moon would have zero brilliance. The Christian life is kind of like being the moon, this dusty, dusty thing that really has no brilliance, but it is simply reflecting the light of the sun. We are becoming more like Jesus. His grace begins to flow in us in such a way that our character changes to become like his character. It's beautiful. So, One, God is gracious. Two, God's grace is working in us to transform us, to change us. And then three, God's grace is working through us. God's grace is working through you. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, it says this, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We have received his grace in order to be people of grace. We have been blessed so that we can bless. We have received it so that we can shine like the moon, to be a city on a hill, to be a light on a stand. Because it is a characteristic of God to be full of grace, to be gracious, we as image bearers, as the new humanity, as as temples of the Holy Spirit, the place where the Spirit of God dwells, we too have become conduit of God's grace into the world. Again, the ins and the outs of Jesus Ephesians chapter three, verse two, it says this, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. This is Paul. He's writing specifically to the Gentiles and he's saying, God has given me grace. He administered grace to me so that through me, you would receive grace. similarly, and uh, similarly, similar, similarly, similarness. I don't know. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given. Is it similar or similarly? How do you say it? Similar? Thank you. I had it right the first time. Ephesians chapter three, verse eight, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me. This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles, the boundless riches of Christ. See, here's what's so beautiful about grace is that as I stand before you, hopefully, God's grace, it's, it's God's grace that called me to this position. It's, it's God's grace that gave me this ability. It's God's grace speaking to me, hopefully. And I, and I say hopefully because I am a very self-centered person. I have competing motivations for being up here. I have ego. But hopefully God's grace is speaking to me and through me. But what's amazing is that as as it falls on your ears and perhaps as the word of God is penetrating your mind and your heart and your soul, it is God's grace that is also at work in you. And as you begin to leave and walk out of here and you commune with one another and you have fellowship, as you speak encouragement, you are speaking God's grace to one another. In fact, listen to this from Ephesians chapter four, verse 29 to 32. It says this, do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Guess what? That it may benefit those who listen. There's our word is actually there. It's charis, it's grace. Here's, if you translate it uh, from the Greek, it actually says this um, build one another up so that you may offer grace. You see, as you, as you leave here, as you walk out, you're talking, to each, you are offering grace to one another and you are receiving grace. This becomes the driving force behind our interactions with one another. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. It says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Gift. Guess what the Greek word for gift is? Not charis, sorry. Charisma. It's charisma. The root word is, in fact, charis, grace. This thing you have received is an act of grace. And keep listening because it says this, serve one another as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. As a steward, as one who holds the grace of God, as one who carries his name. Serve one another. One more Romans chapter 12, verse 6 says this We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. Grace. We are entirely reliant upon the grace of God. It is the gospel. It is necessary for the Christian life. There is no Christian life without grace. There never comes a time that you can say, I no longer need that. And there never comes a time that you have exhausted the grace of God. It is inexhaustible. What can separate us from the love of God? Gathered in this room is a mixture of people. There may be some people here who have been walking with Jesus for there for your entire life, as far back as you can remember. Salvation is still necessary for you. God is still saving you. I'm not saying you haven't been signed and sealed by the Holy Spirit, but I'm saying that salvation and sanctification are still a process. You are still relying on the grace of God. And I invite you in our time of reflection here to continue to position yourself to receive God's grace. Ask for God to continue to mold you and to make you. Ask for him to continue to transform you. If there are areas of your life where you feel like you're just running on empty or you find yourself trying too hard, would you invite God, by His grace, to speak into you, to speak into your life. And there may be some here that have never for the first time received the grace of God. I made a joke at the beginning, and it was on purpose. I said, if you don't know me, my name is Eric. And if you do know me, my name is still Eric. You see, the reality is, whether you know Jesus or not, he's still grace. Whether you know it or not, it doesn't change the reality that he died for you, that he loves you. And I want to invite you today To respond to Jesus, perhaps even for the first time, to surrender, to receive His grace through faith. Let's pray. Lord as we spend time in your presence with one another we we thank you that you are love you are grace you are forgiveness <clears throat> together we recognize that without you we couldn't sustain our lives physically we certainly could not sustain ourselves in this walk with you. And so we invite you to speak to us, to encourage us. We are positioned, we open up our hearts to you in this moment. And I ask God that you would speak to us. for the one in the room that may be wrestling for the first time with this idea of grace that you could love them. That your grace is sufficient to cover their sins, to bring them into right relationship with you. Jesus, I just ask that you would woo and call, pull. Let's just sit with Jesus as we worship. Let's listen. Let's be encouraged by him.